Hello, it's Rum Doings episode 20. It's the episode 20 special. We had an episode 10 special, if you remember. <laughs> we, which, we shan't talk about that today. Which is quite... There's a good reason why we shan't be talking too much about that today, um, in that one of the people who write for the programme, which we were so rude about... <laughs> Is here in the studio. The studio. <laughs> the studio with Uh-oh. us. <laughs> with us today. It's John Finnamore. I, I always promised we wouldn't have two Johns in uh-huh. one room, and now we do. There you go. It's good. <laughs> one promise broken. Oh, one promise broken. Um, now, 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 Mr. Walker, who is? <laughs> we who? have. Do we have different voices? I think we don't need to worry too much about <laughs> who? the dead names. Mr. Walker, who yes. is this, Mr. Finnamore, of which you speak so highly? He's a man off of the radio and the telly. Exactly. And uh, and what's he done on this radio and telly? We could ask him. He sat there. What have you done on the radio and telly, Mr. <laughs> uh, oh, well, obviously, what I'm most proud of is now show. Um, my, work for, <laughs> my work for that. Yes. Uh, but I also write a sitcom called Cabin Pressure, uh, set in a tiny charter airline with one plane and two pilots. Uh, and that's in its... Well, it's had two series on Radio 4, and I'm... Busy writing the third at the moment. Excellent. And I also do stuff for... I do sketches for people like Mitch and Webb and Armstrong and Miller and uh, that sort of... Yeah. I've, I've got the middle-class double act sewn up. And you wrote for some quite famous uh, Mitchell and Webb vehicles, the Mitchell and Webb sound and the, and, uh, the Mitchell and Webb... Is it the Mitchell and Webb view? I'm sorry, I forgot. No, look, the look. Look. Yes, yes, I, 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 they need to change it to view... <laughs> I will let them know. Okay, okay that's good. Uh, and so you've written for those as well, so um, you're certainly not a nobody. Well, I don't know. I think I've still got quite a lot of a nobody about me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for instance, how any of your listeners have any idea who I was before I said who I was? Y- or indeed after? Y- y- <laughs> I think there'll be some. I- I'm sad to say that there will be some. I'm sadder to say there'll be many who've never heard of Mitchell and Webb. Exactly. And so, yeah, never I, heard think I, I think my nobody status is still proudly flying uh, high. Hoisted. <laughs> I, I'm also sad to say there'll be plenty of people who've never heard of radio or radio comedy. Or Marconi or... Yeah, I mean, there is... Right. Are there you broadcasting is... many to hospitals? <laughs> um, well, no, 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 no. We're, we're broadcasting to the youth of today who use their podcasts. Oh, they don't know okay. about this radio thing. Right. You know, they don't know that they have to pay their radio license. <laughs> they, they, they pay their podcasting license, right. sure. Right. Sure and true, you see, but you mean they're not sending checks to Mr. Marconi? No, they're, true. They're, wow. they're not. And so, be in big trouble. Well, by, we, as long as they pay their podcast license to Mr. Murdoch, <laughs> to Mr. Murdoch, I believe um, that's correct. Then, then there'll be, and we all know about Mr. Murdoch and his cream teas. Oh, so he needs to. Never mind, that's an in-joke, which is best you don't get. Um, okay. Because what, it's not true, 100% not true. It might be. Um, he's, he's not a litigious man, Mr Murdoch. That's true. Um, now, okay. we, of course, being rum doings, occasionally do like to have some rum. I've got a return to an old favourite. It's the Rahum, mm-hmm. R-H-U-M, which we've had before, which is based on oranges. And it tastes like a lovely sweetie, as it you does. say, but it is 40%. So, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Bring it on. Um, exactly. So, honey, honey rum at any point. Honey rum. Now, honey that rum. sounds it's good. delicious. It's absolutely Where great. does one get this? Spain. Get it from Spain. Well, that's a problem. Oh. Britain's not very good with rum, is it? No. It's, in fact, rum is the kind of... Probably loads of places, but I got it. Oh, that was a good pop. That was though, a good yeah. pop, I'm sure. God, let me see if I can get a glug. <laughs> oh... We have a job waiting for us at the Radiophonic Workshop. I'm sure <laughs> if, it, if only it hadn't been clo- if oh, only it hadn't been closed down. Oh yes, we've had windows. Actually, we've had we've had phones ringing several times oh, on good. this, so it doesn't matter. Sorry, no problem. I, I, I hope that wasn't your producer telling you you've been recommissioned, <laughs> but you need to phone very quickly to. No, that was the producer of Nasho firing me. Okay, good. <laughs> Somehow he already knows we're recording. <laughs> 
Mitch Ben has his spies out today. <laughs> Let me just pour some fusion on. There we go. Um, it's quite sweet, this. So okay. I don't expect it to be an alcoholic beverage. Just expect it to be a sweetie. Excellent. Um, sweetie that makes you want to go to sleep after. <laughs> <laughs> sweetie. It's the best sort. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. It's sort of a certain cough mixture. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here's to the uh, 20th episode <laughs> of, of this nonsense persiflage. Oh, that's nicer than it smells. It is. Nice. Yeah. It, it is quite nice. It's, it's a bit like a... An, a nicer sort of um, drambuie or something like that. It's, it's viscous. Mm. Viscous. Mm. It is a sweetie. Mm. Um, it's excellent. So, I thought, it, we, we've talked about sitcoms. Have, said what, have you said what we're not talking about? The subject isn't. No, I haven't. You I haven't should. said what the, the, the subject today isn't. How are we going to inoculate ourselves against Britain's road rage epidemic? It's good. You said it in the right tone as and well. That's, yes. that, that, that's the topic. There's a job waiting for you on the mornings on TalkSport. <laughs> that, 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 that's the topic today. Um... But I'd like to talk about, specifically, initially, um, John's uh, sitcom, which, which is called Cabin Pressure, which we've actually mentioned we before, before yeah. and that's why it's nice to have, have him talking with us today, because it, 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 when, when one talks about a sitcom, and one talks about a radio sitcom, and we, indeed we've talked about sitcoms before as well, mm-hmm. a Radio 4 sitcom, then, you know, things aren't looking up, are they? Usually, one's usually running towards the uh, off switch. And indeed, when I came into, I was working from home that day, and I came into our bedroom, and the radio still had been on, and I heard some people talking in an obviously, you know, radio comedy way, and I was launching myself towards the off switch, (laughs) but something stopped me at the last minute, and that was they appeared to be talking about aviation, and you know, I'm a mild civil aviation geek, and I'm interested in it, but it was more than that, it seemed that they were actually using proper jargon, and not rubbish made up jargon, Ah. so your research paid off, it kept one listener (laughs) from pressing the off switch, interesting, they bothered to, hold on, I'm a bit annoyed because there isn't enough cabin sounds, there's not the sound (laughs) of the engines, which, which, you know, but nevertheless, we can't all win, but but I said, nevertheless, there there is something about this, so I stayed listening, but this is, this is, this is apropos of everybody going to the iTunes store and purchasing Cabin Pressure. Yeah, we're just going to sell it. We're going to plug it. Uh, which, like it which, which, which you should do. I mean, seriously, go and do it. Um, you, have, you have Mr. Finnamore in the studio today, so no going to the torrents. You go and buy... <laughs> you know what we think of intellectual property here. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, passionate. Now, we, the, the, there was an episode where the, uh, the lady who owns the airline... Stephanie um, Cole. ...who's played by Stephanie Cole, um, and the... Uh, the well, he's the first officer, but he should clearly be the captain in it, um, and he clearly knows that. Um, is is played by oh my goodness, my Mel Roger Allen, Roger Allen, who of course also has a wonderful role in um, the thick of it mm. and and other things. Yeah. And um, Roger Allen is of course the the, That's the the one thing that slightly makes me wish, I hope that the or at least it will be the consoling thing if the Tories get in at the election <laughs> yeah. is that they they may well make Roger Allen exactly. the minister in that show and that will be almost worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go on, Mr. Cameron, you can do it all. <laughs> uh, and so Not he, that uh, Rebecca Front isn't great, but, no, uh, exactly. you know, I just... Yes, uh, he's, anyway, he is, yeah. he is yeah. exceptionally good. So what, what, are the, um, what are the radio sitcoms that inspired you that kind of come before that? Um, radio sitcoms? Uh, or, even, uh, or even TV sitcoms, I suppose. Radio comedy yeah. of any sort, really. Right, yeah. Well, I suppose uh, I've, mm, probably my favourite sitcom is still Yes Minister. I mm-hmm. think that's... Uh, uh, just tremendously successful at what it does, but uh, um, let me see. Uh, 
Frasier, uh, Dad's Army, uh, people like us, Arrested Development these days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, just hundreds, I can't think of the thick mm-hmm. of it. Um, Do you think that a Yes Minister is still better in absolute terms than the thick of it? No, because I think they're doing... I think they're both appropriate to the age that they were. were, yeah, were trying yeah. to, I mean, I don't know. I'm a layman, and, and I sure. don't know what politics is like, but they both seem very plausible. They both seem to ring true, and I know that they were both written after a lot of research by people who yeah. knew what they were talking about. And it seems to me that in the 80s, it probably was more true that the mm-hmm. civil service were blandly uh, blocking progress and ploughing their own uh, furrow, and that in the 2000s, it is more the uh, the... the what are they called, the uh, enforcers and the that spin, are called the shots. And, uh, and, and what I love about the thick of it, I love the way that it, you know, that the ministers aren't, neither of them, neither Chris Langham nor Rebecca Front's minister is especially bad or no. evil or, you know, claiming But then expenses. again, nor was Jim Hacker, was he? Nor was Jim Hacker. Yeah. No, in, e- in each case, they are slightly o- underqualified for the job. And They're overwhelmed. Overpromoted, and they are absolutely overwhelmed. And in the thick of its case, especially just chasing after the news and the mm. press, which sounds extremely authentic and reading Chris Mullins uh, diaries recently of being a minister you realise just how hard they work even the lazy ones yeah. they work really hard they've just got too much to do and uh, yeah. and I love that bit in the first series where Chris Langham talks about how tired he is and uh, yes. it's just not something you'd think about uh, politicians if you hadn't done the research but they've just put their, their whether they're whether they're the good guys or the bad guys they are all once they get into any uh, once they once they're in the, even in the, the lower slopes of ministerial uh, ranks, they're just overwhelmed. Well, yes, and you can understand why they would be. And if you actually, if you look at any politician, you know, look at photographs of them two terms ago. Before and after, yeah. Before and after. Yes. Yeah. I've yeah. never seen anything that makes people look more haggard and more. No, well, Blair was an incredible example of that, yes. wasn't he? Yeah. Just aged 20 years in five years. Yes. And uh, that's true. I mean, there are some things these days that, of course, don't ring true about Yes Minister. I mean, it would be ridiculous to think that a group of old Etonians could basically <laughs> run the whole of uh, the civil service and the government. I mean, that's obviously ridiculous. <laughs> but more, more seriously, something that did strike me about um, Yes Minister recently is that I thought the script still stood up mm. and the characters still stood up. What I thought didn't stand up quite as well was the acting style. It seemed very stagey. Uh, well, it is, and but well, it's the theatre, rather than... Uh, especially, yeah. and the women characters them also really felt they needed to kind of be quite sing-songy about it. And right. I, and I wondered, I mean, I, I suppose that was just, just the way things were done, and that's the style. I think so, and it doesn't. I mean, I think the, the central three performances are so good, but, but that's true. I mean, both, all three of those people, especially the two leads, were from a theatrical background, and, and they do give a theatrical yeah. performance, but it's not an unbelievable... Not in the sense of being melodramatic or at the top. No. Just in, as you say, being rather... Presented, yes. But presented. I just, exactly. as with any type of comedy, oh, Father Ted. I should have mentioned before, of course, yes, being yeah. an enormous influence, and and that's something where you just have to tune Ter- into Terry that. And Terry and June, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Terry and June, I gather, is better than you remember. Although I haven't seen, I've never seen it. No, I just, you just have to listen to Ronnie. But I'm told that it's, I'm remember. told it's rather well put together. But oh, I haven't right. seen it for a while. And June Whitfield is a very funny woman, so it might well be. Is Terry Scott? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, I, Anyway, so um, could it could it could it be time for a reappraisal <laughs> of Terry and June? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I think there's every. I know that David Mitchell's very fond of it. Uh, oh really? So yeah, yeah maybe it is. <laughs> and again, when you're talking about sitcoms being uh, being quite a form, being a, a, a 
you know you've got twenty eight minutes and you've got, you've got you know, the sofa. You've got to, yeah, you often do have the yeah. sofa, uh, and you you if if you don't have a sofa, you tend to have three sets that you come back yeah. to. You have your poor characters. You know that things have got to occupy them very intensely for twenty eight minutes, but and then, then return back to where them, they yeah. started. Yeah. It's quite an artificial thing. So in a way, maybe. Terry and June or sitcoms like that are the, are the kind of greatest example of it. They are d- doing that to the nth degree. Certainly, as I say, I can't really talk about Terry and June because I've not seen it you know, for, for decades, but um, Ever Decreasing Circles is a sofa sitcom, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Richard Bryars and Peter Egan and um, Penelope Wilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a great sitcom, and it's all set in... It's about suburbia and it's set in, you know, three rooms and a pub and uh, it's very old-fashioned and, and terrific. I remember, but even, even at the time, there was the subversion of that form was Reg- Reginald Perrin, mm. which is just, for me, is like kind of the definitive 70s sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is just, it was just taking, so it, was t- it took kind of, you know, it had its sofa and it's in their front mm. room. And what's surprising just... about that when you watch it again is how, because you remember it as being extraordinary and extreme, mm-hmm. and in ways it is, but in other ways it's, it's very conventional, it's very yeah. of its time, it's obviously dominated by catchphrases and by recurring scenes, and I know that that's partly because the theme of the, of the show is how stultifying, you know, mm. the, the commuter life is, but also... Yeah. You know, when he goes to see the Doctor, it's more or less the same scene every week. And mm-hmm. because Nobbs is a great writer and Ross was a fantastic performer and the Doctor, who played the Doctor, is his name I'm afraid I don't know, no. was very good as well. You don't mind, you're quite happy to see a variation on that scene, yeah. but it's not as groundbreaking as you remember. No. Right. Although and indeed, it's groundbreaking. They had mother-in-law <laughs> jokes with a hippo yeah, exactly. running past. Well, I mean, yeah. that, that's a good example because the hippo was an example of something that had never been done before. That yeah. kind of cutting to a shot of weird nonsense. In case it. you've not watched it, whenever he thinks of his mother-in-law, you the picture changes to a, a, a hippo lumbering through the African desert. It stops film footage. footage as well, yeah. and that's a brilliant example of. Uh, a joke which in one way has never been done before and it's now done all the time in things like Arrested Development and indeed Dream On remember that they're constantly having thoughts of things that would mirror us so the form is really uh, innovative but the style of a joke i.e. my mother-in-law reminds me of (laughs) it is you know as old as as time well I'd say several thousand (laughs) yes you're probably right yeah I I think that um, it's interesting that the sitcom still survives Mm. do you think it still has legs well, it, uh, unquestionably. Of course, you're right. No, I hate you. No, no, but I mean, I think as a viewer rather than a writer, I mean, there's no. Uh, even if you, as. Even if you think we're going through a bad patch at the moment, if you, you know, there's a lot of bad sitcoms around. But everybody's always thought but that from the beginning really... of the sitcom, haven't they? Has there ever been a time when we've not been going through a bad patch of sitcoms? There, there have been such times, but if, if what you mean is, did we know at the time in 1975? Did we realise that we had porridge and faulty? This might, that might be wrong, by the way. Any sitcom beats, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but around 74. Mr. Walker hates faulty towers. The only person in the world. I, do you? I don't only hate faulty towers. I just, do. I just don't Stop enjoy backpedaling now. I don't enjoy it. Oh, now I know what you mean about that. There are certain episodes that it's hard to enjoy. <laughs> it's that just so excruciating. Just, oh, no, yeah. Don't, just, don't. yeah. And they're not my favourite episodes. My favourite ones are the ones where you're more or less on Basil's side. Right. So communication problems is my absolute favourite because you never really... You're always on Basil's side. You want him to keep the money because he's not done anything so bad that he shouldn't... He doesn't deserve to, to keep his money. And right. and it's, it's, it's right and proper that he doesn't at the end and it satisfies you, but you hope that he wins all the way through. It's when he... So... I've never thought that the end of the, I've never loved the end of the Germans as much as everyone else. The famous "Don't mention mm. the war" scene mm. because he's mad by that point. I mean, he's been physically hit on the head. He's not himself, and the way he he 
uh, act in front of those Germans is utterly unreasonable and mad, and also can be explained in that Sybil can, in the scene after the credits roll, Sybil can come in and say, I'm terribly sorry, he's escaped from <laughs> hospital, he's been hit on the head, he wasn't himself. Right. Whereas no one will ever be able to explain to the diners in Gourmet Night why he has plunged his hands into a trifle looking for a duck. You know, there's, <laughs> there's no way out of that. That's something that's been built up through the episode and makes sense to us because we know what's coming, but we'll never, he'll never be able to get out of that. And that's the no. news so much funnier yeah I suppose I suppose again it's to do with the craft of the thing and who yeah. who gets to know what at what time and how satisfying it is what information is kept from you or yeah and also about that I mean it's um, true of Alan Partridge as well I love <clears throat> the, all the various Alan Partridge shows but uh, my favourites probably still know me knowing you and then after that i I prefer the first series of I'm Alan Partridge mm-hmm. to the second. I think, I think they do too. They do. I think yeah, everybody they, does, yeah. yeah. The second's got lots of great stuff in it, but I think the Alan Partridge in the second... And it's not unbelievable, it's perfectly plausible mm. this is what's happened to him, but I think he's basically... His odd personality has tipped over into proper problems. Well, he's become he's a, got mental health problems. He's become, yeah. A, yeah. A, he's become an, uh, almost an unfunny grotesque at that point. Um, there's a scene where he drives up to Scotland just eating Toblerones, getting hugely fat. Yeah. Now, actually, there is a flashback with oh, Coogan really? in a, in a fat okay. suit. And I didn't find that funny. It was no, just that, quite a slightly weird, weird to look at. Yes. That's funny in a, if you do it in a Reggie Perrin way, if that's the subject of the whole sitcom, but it's not a throwaway joke. And there's a scene where he has two women from the tax office round. Do you remember that? Round to his caravan, and he's worried yes. about something he claimed. And the way he behaves towards them is, is of a disturbed man. He does a mm. sort of puppet thing with a bear, and it's just... <laughs> yes. You think, well, this isn't someone who's, who's weird, whose personality kink has trapped him into a corner. Yes. This is a man who needs help yes and, exactly. and therefore I can't laugh at it in the same way as I not out of kind of piousness because I you know it is possible to laugh at it's a mad a, character it's a mm-hmm. but it's it's not as funny as a, an essentially sane character whose delusions have put him into uh, an untenable situation like Faulty or Mannering or all mm. the other greats um, it's, it's interesting you talk about mad characters, but there are also, also stupid characters. Ah, yeah, where and, would we be? That was stupid and, characters. And, <laughs> no, but uh, often, often, I don't know about you, but... Uh, oh, Mr. dinner Walker, ladies. Dinner ladies, but oh. I did, though, there, there are some stupid characters in that. You know, the... the, yeah. the, the, the oh, oh, hello, I... There I'm, was one episode where the Asian character didn't know what a broom was. Really? And things like that. And it's just, yeah. at that point... See, I'm, not, I'm quite fond of dinner ladies. You're talking about well constructed. Oh, it is well constructed. Oh, yeah. People they're not standing in a straight line at the front of their theatre. No, everyone's in a straight line, but Victoria Wood is slightly in front of the wall. <laughs> oh, we can be very rude about that national you're treasure, welcome. I can assure you. <laughs> you're welcome to be, but I think it's a good show. Would you like show. some more rum? Oh, absolutely. Of course. It, uh, no, no. It, it is not a good show. <laughs> and let that be the no tolerance for this. Thing. And also, she knows about jokes. There are regular jokes in it. Even if you don't like them all, you've got to. It's not as annoying as someone who forgets to put them in. That's true. I would prefer to see dinner ladies with absolutely no jokes in it at all. And <laughs> amazing amazing well, just, then it would just be a, buttering some bread. And well, then it would be a Mike Lee film. I mean, yeah, that would be, you could absolutely do yeah. do that. <laughs> yes. Well, no, you talk about you know the Mike the Mike Lees and and the also the Alan Bennetts and things mm-hmm. like that. But for example, um, if you look at what Graham Fellows does with John Shuttleworth. Mm. Um, 
and uh, my, my wife actually comes from Yorkshire, so is allowed to talk about these things. Yeah. Um, she she thinks. I mean, she thinks that. Uh, well, I'm aware that Yorkshire is now an oppressed minority. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Have, you, have you never had her, her Jeffrey boycott talking? <laughs> um, you've got to get out the bed. Um, John, and, and she says that, frankly, she finds um, John Shuttleworth's presentation of the North mm-hmm. uh, it, far more interesting and subtle. Than Alan Bennett's, and she thinks okay. that he does a better job than Alan Bennett in, in you know, in, in the radio Shuttleworth and the Shuttleworths and all that kind of stuff. Uh, have you have you heard? I have indeed, and mm. I, d- I don't know what to. I mean, I think they, I think they they're both terrific. They're two two of my heroes, those guys. Mm. So uh, I well, don't think good. they're trying to do exactly the same thing, but mm. I can see the but you can, yes, uh, and there are and there, terrific. There, yeah, and there are certain again, but there are certain times when though those those are not uh, programs that are full of belly laughs. No, uh, uh, but there, 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 there's always a certain pathos about mm-hmm. them that's not overplayed. Oh, absolutely, no, but I'm... is beautifully mm. observed. Um, and this is most spe- the most specialist thing about uh, the Shuttleworths and any of his programs is that he, he the, the moment when it finally dawns on you that he's every voice. I, I didn't know, know that like, initially. Yeah, I did exactly. not. Yeah. You can't believe and he was doing this in his He's dreary. It's incredible, isn't yes. it? It's got to be the yeah. best female impression since Alice Cassidy. He, he, he was doing oh. this in the early '90s, where and he was just yeah. using tape and re-recording on the tape. There is a trick, though. There was um. There was an audiophile magazine where they interviewed him, and he actually he played the tape back slightly quicker when he was doing Mary. I think Mary. he sped up Mary, yeah. Very oh, right, slightly right. speeding up the tape. Yeah. It's, I think that's so wonderful to think that he's actually timed it so that he could yeah. do it when he speeds up the tape and then speaks to it and then recalls, leaving, a, leaving the gap that's big mm-hmm. enough. Have either of you seen him live? Yes, we were together, Mr. Oh, Senile. That's true. That's true. I wrote a gag that he read out for that, didn't did you? Yes, you did. Yeah, interval. at the end, yeah. Um, so, but he, yes, because he couldn't even do it live. I mean, he's playing them in off the. Keyboard, I'm sure, but you know he, he gets the timing right. That yeah, can do Ken Worthington. Ken Worthington phoned in, for example. Oh, yeah, and yeah. phoned in live, and the gap was just long enough, even taking into so account was that the one lo- in the gravy. Yes, yeah. was it? Yeah. One oh, no, no, it was the one after that. It was the one after one foot in the gravy. Okay. Was it? Or was it? Not, not the, the, Ken rings in to one foot in the gravy. It but might, maybe that I think he pretty much does that. Yeah. Ken always. <laughs> <laughs> but of when you listen, if you listen to the radio programs, you know all the the, the oomphs and the R's and the strange mm, little yeah. noises. I've realised they they fill the gaps. Of course, mm. between them, that's what they're there for—is to make it feel more fluid oh, as the other yeah, voices oh, come yeah. in and out. But also, yeah. it's true. It's what it's what yeah. you know. You'll probably hear on this. Sort of clinks and holes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's beautifully, terrific. beautifully crafted stuff, and mm. in a sense, the other pathos is. I think he should have gotten more recognition for it than he than he does. There's mm. an awful lot of rubbish that gets a lot more recognition, but mm-hmm. I suppose that's, that's just true. the way. But the I way he has God. devoted fans, though. I he mean, does. He's, yes. got, he's one of those shows that you know that everyone who's ever going to like it now knows about it, and yes. almost all yeah. of them love it. So. Yeah. and I love the so way. So that's, that's, that's a success. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. It's kind of muddles a lot. It's there, and it's kind of in the background, and it's safe. And each time he tries to launch a new character, it inevitably dies a death, and he has to return. It's a shame that because I like some of the I like yeah. I wasn't sure about the music one but that's more the John Appleby but that's yeah. more because I don't know much about right. music yeah. so I missed most of the references but the um, have you heard him do his builder character yeah. Dave tore off I yes he was is. he was at the I beginning thought... of One Foot in the Gravy which was good and my again my wife liked it because she she knows of those sort of asp- mm. there's a specific certain sort of aspirational yeah. person in in the north is different to the way people are perceived or act in the south apparently right. Um, and apparently he captures the specific nuances of that quite well. And I thought it was a good character. It's yeah. a shame we don't... Although not, not, not as good as John Shuttleworth, though. No. But that's fair enough. I mean, it, you're, then, you're allowed to have your best. Well, exactly. It's, it's like Joseph Heller said. It was a famous story you've probably heard. But uh, 
everyone always used to ask Joseph Heller about, you know, because he wrote his first novel at the age of 20-something, yeah. and it was Catch-22, and it was amazing. Yeah. And uh, so a journalist asked him, uh, do you think it's true that you've never written another novel as good as Catch-22? And he said, uh, yes, that is true, but then again, who has? <laughs> you, could, yeah, yeah. you could certainly say that of Fellows and yeah. Shuttleworth. No, he exactly. hasn't created another character quite as good as John Shuttleworth, but... but, but <laughs> how many people have, yeah. yes. Um, we were talking about uh, idiot characters and silly characters, and mm. one of those characters, of course, is the character you play on Cabin Pressure, yep. called Arthur. And often idiot characters annoy me intensely. Mm. I know that... Me too. Who's the... You, you stupid boy. Uh, I, I can't... I, I, I'm afraid to say I'm going to commit blasphemy and say I don't actually like um, Dad's Army, but oh, there you are. Yeah. I'm sorry. I like it, but then I, again, you like you like Dinner Lady, so the cosmic <laughs> balance. The cosmic balance. <laughs> I also like Dad's Army a great deal. I, I strike the middle ground with Dad's Army. I say as, a, as an example of form, it's incredible, um, and it's got su- absolutely superb performances. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah, a, yeah. the what a what a cast to get. Now, I've been watching some of it lately, and I must admit that watching it again. I mean, they wrote an awful lot of episodes, those two guys, yeah. and sometimes... They can't hold me. <laughs> sometimes you think they were casting around for ideas, yeah. and there's all, an awful lot of this week's big prop, and then all of the platoon react to the big plot. The big plot. Big plot. The, the big, big plot. plot. There you go, yeah. <laughs> in their, you know, in the way that their character would, and that takes up half the episode, and then the other half of the episode is a location shoot with the big prop going wrong, and right. it's all a bit, it's a, you know, it's a bit samey. But the best episodes, the ones that are basically about Mannering and Wilson and that uh, and that struggle, which I so blatantly ripped off in Cabin Pressure, uh, <laughs> of the guy who is in charge and the guy who should be in charge and the guy who is in charge knows it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can watch that for hours. I think right. that's fantastic. Well, the, the, the point about... Uh about the idiot character, yeah. or the idiot savant character, perhaps, Arthur, is that... No. Nope. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say he's savant. There's a, there are occasional savant light moments, um, like, at the end the... Of, like at the end of the desert episode, which is it's quite admitted by uh, yeah, that he yeah. has his moments of, of without realising it, sometimes his ridiculous ideas. That actually... was my producer's idea, actually, that he should... The desert episode is possibly my favourite, it's certainly one of my two or three favourites, and it was... Uh, Again, it was my producer's idea that everyone should have a... So, in that episode, an awful lot of things go... Farcically wrong, wrong yeah. Sort of farcically, but basically because of this, uh, the other, other antagonist played by John Sessions as a... As Who has a, the most ridiculous French accent I've ever heard. He's an amazing impressionist and can do anything. I thought, what's he doing? Is he, I, I thought, is he thinking this, this character's lived... In the desert for this amount of time, he's got some local accent mixed in with his French. I think he was enjoying, and you know, God bless him. I think he was enjoying getting laughs for saying words in a funny French accent. He does a he does a perfect French accent. Of course, you must have been delighted to get your sessions as well. Of course, yeah. I mean, amazing to get him, and he was really, really funny. But I think he made a decision during the, and you know, the way that radio is recorded is very fast. Mm. The the actors only turn up at one o'clock on the day, and then you read, and you're doing two scripts that day, Mm. and you you read through them once at the table, and then the producer gives notes you read through it once more you read it once on mics and then the audience come in and Mm. you do it so when you hear it that's only the fourth time they've ever said these words and so you have to make your decisions very quickly about it and I think quite early on he decided that his perfect French accent was fine but his Clouseau French accent was funny (laughs) (laughs) I hope he won't be offended if he ever hears it no 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 but I mean but it clearly wasn't his purpose because I've I've heard him do perfect French accent he's clearly he's clearly chosen not to do it Um, and, but the, the point about Arthur is that I should find him utterly hateful, but I don't. Why not? Because he 
isn't just stupid, or at least I hope he's not just stupid. He is clearly stupid. Well, he's got a very wonderful say, heart. He's a wonderfully hearted exactly. character. I would say that the thing about him that defines him is his optimism and his cheerfulness, and that he just thinks that everything is wonderful. He's a, mm. a, a Labrador of a yes, man. Yes. And I would say, and I hope that this comes across, but for me, that's his defining quality, that he's yes. uh, enormously pleased by everything that happens and of course the effect of that is to make him seem quite simple mm. plus he's not that intelligent yes. but I don't <laughs> think that the thing about him is that he's an idiot who will misunderstand everything that's said to him yeah. and I think the best idiot not saying that he's one of them but the best idiot characters the times when idiot characters work I think that's always true that they are idiotic in a particular way so Pike you don't like but you, I think the thing about Pike is not that he's stupid it's that he's naive the mm. thing about um George in Blackadder is not that he's stupid, it's that a bit like Arthur, actually, he's enormously gung-ho. I'm thinking mm, yeah, that Blackadder yeah, gets both. Yeah. Whereas the thing about Baldrick is that he's stupid, and it's brilliant performance, and there's some brilliant lines associated with it. Nobody but I prefer to... Percy or George being the stupid character to Baldrick, because Baldrick is... Ju- well, he's stupid and he's grimy and, and unpleasant. And he's a bit malign as well. He's, there's nothing about him that's at all really attractive in any sense, Baldrick, mm. is there? And there's not supposed so to be. So I would go with either Percy or George, who are, you know, have other delusions, are intensely loyal to Blackadder, for instance, which is, is I think, funnier. But um, you, you say that Arthur isn't savant, but I must defend him. <laughs> I must defend him. <laughs> Not only know. does he write him, but also is him. I must have been a voice. As, as we well know, this. as we well know, we subscribe to Roland Barthes' Death of the Author. Here, you've got nothing to do with him. You have nothing to do with him whatsoever. I do not subscribe um, to that. Um, <laughs> so, so you you like dinner, ladies? You don't subscribe to Roland Barthes' Death of the Author. I don't, I don't know. This is not working. Very embarrassing. Anyway, um, the, the point about there, there is the, the I think the, this is the last episode of the first series where where yep. he's going well. You, you're always ridiculous. He says, oh, I'm always happy, he says Arthur yeah. or something. And then he says, well, no, you're not happy. You're always cheerful. Nobody wants to be cheerful. Um, no one wants to find the secret of cheeriness. Yes, I think. nobody wants to find yeah. it. I, I'm not the right. <laughs> That's a <secret. laughs> No, no, I just mean there's a difference <laughs> no, no, between... No, no, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying they're quite complimentary. Right? <laughs> you see, you do have a... Even though the author is dead, he still occasionally pops out of the grave and reminds us. <laughs> um, and, and whilst... Uh, and, and then he says, no, well, actually... You know, you, everybody hopes for those those great moments of happiness, like you know, I don't know, uh, what is it, staring into the eyes of a loved one or whatever. That sunset, um, yeah, but yeah, they... sunset. But those those are those those are moments which are a difficult to achieve, and b there's a real pathos because you know they don't happen very often. And well, when will you're when they yeah, I mean, this is that clearly was just me talking. And, exactly. Uh, so when they're there, you're so busy worrying about about you know you know how fleeting this is going to be, and you're so oh, I better enjoy this. Memento mori, memento mori, etc. Whereas getting into a bath, which is just the right temperature, is I mean. <laughs> you can that, do that every night if you exactly want. and the happiness of those those three seconds of your body going oh this is nice <laughs> that's unbeatable and so yeah. yeah in that sense he is but then I suppose that that's comes from the, what I'm saying about the main thing about him for me being his happiness not his stupidity yeah. so yeah he's he's enormously successful at being happy and none of the other characters are that happy that much of the time and no. so in that way he definitely you know, he's the one you'd want to be if you had to be one of the four. Yes, of, of course. Of course, you'd want to be stupid Arthur, who's happy. And well, there's no, 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 no. There's the big, there's the big philosophic problem. Do you want to be a, a happy Socrates or an unhappy? Uh, sorry, an unhappy Socrates or a happy pig? Uh, the way my, my chosen happy pig. The way I, well, I would choose happy pig, I think. And I'd say, the way my friend Owen and I used to play this game is: which goon would you want to be? You have to have that. You have their talent, but you also live their life, and you live it the way uh, they live. Yeah, they're living the life. So you've the got, problem. you know, you've got. 
comic genius Milligan who influenced everything that came after him. Harry Seek. And, Harry Seek and, and uh, right way, I think, I, I think I can see where this is going. Well, exactly. This yeah. is where... Well, Owen and well, I disagree. Mm. I, he goes for Milligan because... Because but he was a depressed he man was depressed who lived an awful and he life. up his relationships yeah. and was basically unhappy most of his life, but he produced some of the best comedy and certainly influenced all of the rest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you only live once, go for that. I go for Seacombe. Seacombe had a good life and a good career and was, you know, had. Uh, did what he wanted to do. Had a long, happy marriage. Was all was a and also got, faith. got to know Milligan. And voice. also got to know Milligan and got to appreciate got Milligan to without having to be him. Yeah, and and not just be in them, but was brilliant in them. Yes, yeah. was, was, was that, that's the point. I mean, so why I why do you have to be this guy? You still you can be associated with him like Seekham was. So I, I yeah. think you need to tell your friend yeah. he's wrong. Well, I, I did. I imagine so. Did he accept What about you, John? Which uh, I, I've yet to meet anyone who's chosen Sellers. Are you going to be that man? Well, uh, Peter Sellers are the worst of all worlds. Yeah. <laughs> what to be Peter Sellers? No, I know. Tragic. I mean, he's a real, but again, a genius. Horrible. Tragic. I mean, I'd love to. See, I, I want to. I s- would give a lot to have that talent, but I wouldn't give any chance of happiness. I think if you'd, if you'd asked me at the beginning, I would have said Spike Milligan just because he's the person I admire the most. Yeah, but then you've got to. Then but you've, realize, realize, you've taught me around you, to Harry think, But you think yeah. about yeah, it's not. I want to. I, I, I want to be him in order that he can continue creating this stuff. It's mm. I want to be a person who lives once. And yeah. if you want to live once, yeah. who 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 great ga- greater enjoyment out of life? I mean, you know, would you have wanted to be Beethoven, going deaf and crazy? I, I don't know. You would actually. I mean, it's, well, John, how about Jonathan Swift? He said, I would I'd love to look up to Jonathan Swift, but then you have to suddenly become mad. a miserable, mad, old or Nietzsche, man. or somebody like yeah. that. You know, there are plenty of yeah. creative, wonderful people, but surely it's good enough that they existed. Why would you want to be <laughs> in their skin as well? That's that's the the creepiest of fandom. Isn't it? <laughs> they want to be inside you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Suggesting that you literally in the thought experiment where you have to be one of the four men. No one also has picked Benteen, sadly. But although probably I'd rather be Benteen than Sellers. I'm sure he was. He was (laughs) possibly more than Milligan because he was a pretty happy man. Yes, I've not heard anything particularly about Benteen, which would suggest otherwise. Has there been revisionism recently, which has shown him to be a Nazi paedophile? I don't think there's been an awful lot of research and study into the career and life of Michael Benteen, so it hasn't really been. I imagine I imagine the Wikipedia page is full of citation need and this needs to be rewritten and uh, this is a stub probably so. they'll probably say this is a stub <laughs> a comedy stub can you help I'm, I'm, I'm going to go all the way back to the thing we started with I was going to say the thing that I, the reason I carried on listening to Cabin Pressure mm. was because it was Stephanie Cole's voice oh she's great and that's what because I loved Waiting for God oh, yeah, and I was too. young enough to not know how old she was so I just mm. assumed that she was as old as Diana Incredible, in Waiting for God it? and now the funny thing is she is as old as she's Diana now, was in Waiting for God she's still not quite probably I reckon Diana's about 70 isn't she and, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, Stephanie's closer to 60 than 70 and she, oh right and she's just absolutely she's just so brilliant in, yeah. the, in the programme I just love her voice and I love well, her they're all. I mean that's the one thing about uh, and I think we should spend the next ten minutes. Uh, God forbid I should give a topic, but uh, you know, defending the BBC a bit under its um, attack, under its it's kind of being attacked from all quarters. And I think the unique thing about BBC Radio, and I'm comparing this with say American Radio, is that it attracts for comedy and drama programs top class performers. Um, and I was thinking you, mm. you couldn't go to you couldn't go to even in even somebody it's some talk radio program in America say well actually we're going to produce a comedy for radio that's going to attract the same no. sort of people you see on television and it's going to yeah. be broadcast I think that just wouldn't happen I mean you've got some really top draw performers you have Alice, people like Alison Steadman no. in, 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 in the second series yeah. and, and, and Mr. Whitehead I think that, yeah. that was my favourite episode actually yeah. I think his performance in that was just so wonderful he and the, the, the blustery Anglo-Welshman was a, yeah 
incredibly uh, good. Yeah, he's someone you just cast whenever you can. Because <laughs> although he seems like he... I mean, he's got... He's, um, if you've not come across him, he you, he's probably best known from uh, Worst Week of My Life, was that fair to say? But he's been in everything, especially on radio. Mm. He's the tall, very, uh, you know, rather aristocratic-looking uh, man in his probably late 60s or early 70s with uh, iron grey hair. Oh, he was in the uh, new... Uh, the recent Martin Clunes Reggie Perrin as the father-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's just got funny bones. He's uh, he's particularly terrific in a show called Big Expectations, which I'm sure yes. you've come across, uh, and uh, in which he gets killed each week. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, he's as I say, he's simply someone you you you, you cast. And, you and, and I mean, the, it's just his intonation. Yeah, is, is really good. Yeah. And, but, you know, there's just knowing the literally, literally the musical note to yeah. leave us to read a line out in was very good. I mean, there's, he he's at some point he says, "Shall we go?" And it's the tone of "go" in that slightly dismissive <laughs> "I'm in charge" sort yeah. of way. Um, Absolutely, really you can get it. laughs. Uh, you can get more laughs than there are in the script, which yes. is always a, well, well almost always a plus, if, unless you're actually just you know <laughs> you want to be quiet and pay, pay, yeah, pay yeah. pathos moment, yeah. and then suddenly you're Robbie Williams. But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't no. get unearned laughs, but he gets no. earned laughs where there weren't any right. in the writing, and that's all mm. you can hope for. <laughs> so when you when you first wrote the first series, were you writing for these actors, or did you? I mean, did you write for Stephanie Cole, or was it? I did always have Stephanie Cole's voice in mind. Actually, oh, yeah. uh, the others. I we knew the cast. I wrote the I wrote a pilot and mm-hmm. got the commission, and then we cast it before I wrote the rest of the series. So yes, I had their voices in mind for all, but the, and indeed the the pilot got quite extensively rewritten because I right. didn't know how to write sitcoms at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I may not still, but I <laughs> I know well, a bit more now. Uh, and I just tried to cram far too much in it. So the original the the original pilot is now became the. The Abu Dhabi episode, the first episode of the first series, and the Cremona episode, the one with the actress in the first series. Mm-hmm. Basically, both of those and a bit more were all crammed into one episode in right. the pilot, which didn't work. Oh at my all. goodness, that yeah. must have been and a real stew. And they're both still pretty plot. Well, no, Abu Dhabi isn't, but Cremona is still pretty mm. plotty, probably too plotty. And uh, combine that with all the cat and the hold stuff, and I just, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. Well, uh, uh, where did I start with that? Oh, yeah, so, uh, so even with that. Even with the pilot, I went back and rewrote it quite extensively. So the short answer to your question is, yes, I did write it with their voices. Were you sure questions. that you get all these performances? No, of course not. No, they're <laughs> amazing people. I mean, so it's uh, Roger Allen, Stephanie Cole and Benedict Cumberbatch are mm. our main cast. And uh, they are all pretty much, you know, A-list people on mm. theatre. the film stars, uh, you know, TV stars. Uh, uh, the thing about, and as you said, this is a good thing about BBC radio is that you can get people like that if they like the script. And... I think they quite like the way... And there's a goodwill about it, isn't there? There's a goodwill, and also, you know, no one does it for the money, because there's no money in radio for anyone. Uh, But there is... What there is, is an opportunity... I was talking before about how quickly the turn... How quick the turnaround is. Mm. And, of course, for someone who's spent... Who's just come off seven months filming a Hollywood movie, it's quite... And maybe they've only had about a ten-minute scene in it. Well, maybe. Or maybe, you know, like Roger Allen, actually, they've been... that He was the villain in... um, What's it called? Speed Racer? I haven't seen. Oh, was it? Uh, oh, yeah. He was the your standard issue a British mm. yeah, culture, <laughs> British voice being a baddie yeah. in a moustache. Excellent uh, part. And uh, I haven't seen it, so I'm sure he's good in it because I've not yet seen him be bad in he it. May be, yeah, he may be I'm, the only good thing. In it. I'm not convinced it's a great movie. Mm. Whether it is or not doesn't matter. He would mm. have spent a lot. You know, he had a big part in it. He'd have spent a long time in mm. uh, yeah. doing that. He'll have been 
ploughing through maybe it would have been quite three tedious. pages a day. Wait, like, wake, and waking up at God knows what time in the morning to be told yeah. to sit around yeah. the set for exactly. Minutes, so. so to be able to vary that, with, or even in theatre work, to be able to, you know, mm. where you're, which is entirely different, of course, but it is doing the same show for months on end, and then just to, to come in one Sunday and spend an afternoon doing an entirely different character and two scripts, and then in front of a live audience, which mm-hmm. sometimes is things that people who do a lot of uh, TV mm. and film miss, and uh, then... Uh, go off and come back next Sunday. I think is something so, that you can get people so, to do. So, so do you think uh, cabin pressure is good then? Remember, we said there's a there's a no false modesty <laughs> there's a no false modesty rule. So be honest uh, about how good you think it is. You know, uh, pretend that you you're not the, the little British thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. that little old me, that little that little thing. Oh, that Let thing. Man oh, me. that little thing. You you know, you can't do that. You have to actually. I think, the, I think the probably the honest answer is I think of the twelve episodes I've written so far, four are good. And I'm pleased with, and most of the others, I think, are fine, and I, as, and don't, and I'm not embarrassed about. And there's maybe one or two where every time, you know, which have their moments, but yeah. every time I think, oh yeah, but you just you fudged that, didn't you? Know, oh, right. You haven't quite earned that ending, or whatever it might be. Do you think if you were satisfied, you would be a, become a worse writer? Oh. I'm not sure. Um, I think obviously you can get into a especially over a long career, you can get to the point where you stop editing yourself and, mm. and if you're successful, maybe people... Start believing your own press. Pe- you start becoming formulaic. And people don't edit you either. And yeah. so you start doing your first draft and assuming that because you're ex, that's good enough. And yeah. I think we can think of people for whom that is true. So in one way, that's a danger. But on the other hand, of course, you can go too far the other way as well. So I don't know. So mm. why, why do uh, Mitch and Webb still do a radio show? I mean, I, I, is it just a testing ground, or is it a passion? Is it? Uh, uh, yes, it's I think it's, it's both two things. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, I think basically because they they are good guys, and mm-hmm. they started. It's also them. a loyalty thing. Yeah, yeah that's that what I was going to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. they the Radio Four, you know, very much want them to carry on doing it, and they I think take the view that well, if we can do it, if it can, if we can fit it in between, you know, uh, the. TV show and Peach show, show and all the other yeah. things they do, but if we have, if there's a time when we can all do this, they. You know, they were there when we were starting out. We really wanted a radio show. Now we're successful, and they want us. And we should carry on doing it if we can. So I think partly just because they are, they are, they and the producer Gareth Edwards are good people, but also they get something back from it in that it's you know radio is really fun to do mm-hmm. and it is a good testing ground. But what I like, I think, what I like about that show. Although having said that, they don't they try not to transfer much. Well, stuff. that's what I th- that's what I keep mm. noticing is that you know even even go back to like Lee and Herring would use their Radio One show as a, as a mm. test ground for and they shouted anybody who complained about the transfer. <laughs> well, it's only radio. What do you expect? Of course, we're well, going no, to no, I don't think they would have ever said it's okay. No, they did, but in a slightly jokey way, they did sure. say that. But the the thing with that, the radio program seems to be really written for radio. It didn't. They yes. never feel like sketches <clears> that we could we can maybe develop. I think the sketch. way in which it has become a testing ground, that particular pair of shows. Um, for characters rather than no, scenes? for writers. Oh, um, I, I think they're very. And Gareth Edwards is an excellent producer, and he's always been very good. At, he was. He gave me a lot of my first jobs, and he's very good at looking for new writers. And right. uh, the sound. So sound is the radio show, mm-hmm. and look is the TV show. And sound uses a lot of new writers and a lot of non-commissioned writers. Even they don't advertise it as an open door show because it's course. not. No, no, but. And I'm not even sure if I should be saying this. Well, no, but I think, but I don't see what harm it can do. Well, there's less. There's probably less I think, restraint. I think shows. I think you know that the non-commissioned scripts, i.e., scripts that are just sent in to the producer because they've heard their name off the credits. I think they are more likely to get read if you send them to Sound than they are on a lot of Mitchell Web Sound than mm. they are on a lot of shows. Uh, and he's very good at that. So Sound uses a lot of writers mm-hmm. and. 
obviously you need that's what you need you need to uh, get some stuff on and get notes back and and hear it read and and go write and rewrite it before you can get good at writing sketches mm. so it is a way of bringing people on and then later maybe using them on the uh, on the TV show. So whilst it's no Hudson and Pepperdine show, at least it has a certain... Nick has to get a dig in somewhere. It has a, it has a, cer- it has a certain uh, credit to its name in that respect. When, so you can say yes, no, or no comment. Okay. To the following question. And it may well be no comment. All right. And this is whether you ascribe to the, the, subscribe to the Bill Hicks view of the artistic role, if you ever heard that. Yes. You've done a... Struck off forever, which yeah. I, I broadly don't. Okay. Um, they're adverts for Apple, Mitchell and Webb. Mm-hmm. Do you think less of them for doing it? Yes, no, or no comment? <laughs> no, I don't think less of them for doing it. I right. see the argument, however, uh, against them doing it, mm. and I think... I'm, I'm su- sure they can as well, they're intelligent people. Of course people. they can. Yeah. I'm surprised at how much people hated it. Mm. And I think that, that because, because comedians, including those two, do that, or, you know, advertise things all the time. Mm. That's just one of the jobs that an actor or comedian does. Some... Very few actors and comedians may choose to take the Bill Hicks view and not do it, but most don't and do it. So it was, and it's not the first advert that either of them well, no. So I couldn't quite understand what a furore. I think it's because Apple has got such a kind of well, smug it, notion about it. Well, I think maybe, it, maybe but people generally thing. like Apple. It's not as if they were doing yeah. well Microsoft or McDonald's. I mean, actually, <laughs> Microsoft think, or McDonald's. I think one of them. I can't remember which, but I think one of them did do a voiceover for McDonald's. Mm. So, and that did. I mean, probably people. Okay, voiceovers. You don't necessarily realise yeah. it's them, but still, didn't cause anything like the fuss. I think it boils down to the fact that they had to begin each advert by saying, "I am." Yes. I am a PC. Right. I am an Apple. And yes. That was such a and standing there in front of a white and it background. was the, it was the double act doing it as well. It I wasn't just so. one of them. So. And I think that gave a false impression that they were, you know, more literally selling out than most people who do adverts. Yeah. They but were really look, saying, "I everything that is right. I, David Mitchell, is a PC," which yeah. is just not the case. Also, what well, as, as Charlie Brooker said, he said he actually preferred the PC well, character. That, that happens <laughs> a lot. And the other thing I think about those adverts, which means that I don't in any way think less of them, is that they are really funny. I think they're funny sketches. Well, well uh, they are the, well the American equivalent with John Oliver. Yeah. And I forget the guy who's not with, John Oliver. John Hodgman. John Hodgman, of course, not John Oliver. John Hodgman. Yeah, oh, that both Daily Show. Uh, <laughs> uh, Adored those adverts. No, they, they, you know, John, John Hodgman isn't, isn't castigated for having taken part in them. Yeah. They've become more famous and more celebrated. But that's, I, I quite like that so. we still have that slight distaste and suspicion in this country. Mm. I quite yeah. like. That. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of a good instinct, even if it goes awry or goes too far. Sometimes it's it's no, better than I think that we we don't see the definition. We don't. We we should always be aware of the potential problems of these things, even if we give we give get out clauses. For I them. think that's true, and there are some things that you know. If advertising debt consolidation companies is is pretty grimy thing to do, and yes. anyone who does that probably should. Just because you're good, just because you're good at maths, doesn't mean that you should be selling poor people well, loans they can't pay you back. Are, whoever you yeah. are, yes, it seems to be an industry that shouldn't be promoted. And if you promote it, then then it shouldn't you're, be on television at all. Whereas there's nothing saying. about a computer, whether it may be made by Apple or IBM mm. or anyone mm. else. There's nothing intrinsically bad about a computer. So if someone's prepared to pay you a lot to sell it and you think you see for me my policy is that I don't mind comedians advertising things except with a few exceptions uh, as long as the advert is funny so with Stephen Fry for instance when he did used to do the Heineken uh, smooth talking bars the bar oh, yeah, they were hilarious more, yeah, more yeah. Stephen Fry sketches for us to enjoy no problem yeah. with that at all when he does Twining's Tea and he's just doing some sort of half fast copy of himself with his, other writers with his girlfriend <laughs> did he? <laughs> yes, yes he did. in that advert his girlfriend stroke wife is there right. and also of course one thing we know about Stephen Fry is he doesn't like complicated or interesting language because somebody talks <laughs> in some particularly 
prolix way. Says, oh, it's just just use a simple word. Why do you use such really? a complicated word like this simple tea? <laughs> Whoever wrote that really didn't quite. Well, I don't get mind it. him playing a character, but it's a shame yeah. that it, the character was a sort of version of himself. And, and more importantly, is that it wasn't funny. And, yes, and well, he sort of admitted. He said, "I love the material." I love sparkly things, and I am just a big kind of sellout whore. He almost said it. He said, <laughs> he said that's part of who I know. And almost, I think, in that program about you know his manic, depressive yeah. character, bipolar yeah. character, that's kind of a manifestation of it almost. I, I need to go and get my more gadgets, and this helps me get my more gadgets kind of thing. Yeah. And, then, and then he suddenly feels really low and terrible and yeah. hates himself for doing it. And I think it's almost part of that kind of cycle. You yeah, can, maybe. Uh, I didn't mean to particularly... No, 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 but he's, so fa- he's such general. a famous example. But it's an example of someone being funny and accepted. Yeah. I don't mind John Cleese doing Schweppes adverts when they're funny, and I do mind him doing Sainsbury's adverts when they're not. Yeah. Just to pick another example, so yeah. it's not picky on Fry. No, of course not. Fry uh, is a national treasure. Funny, well, and also also a customer of ours. So we, 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 <laughs> we both have reasons not to be rude about Mr. Fry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we. Yeah, so I was thinking about voiceovers. Because when I see a comedian's face on an advert, I always say, "Oh!" But when I hear them doing a voiceover, I don't mind. Yeah, and I've never quite. Yeah, and that. I mean, so. Hugh Laurie doesn't get any of that stick, and he makes, well, not most of his money anymore. No, the house no. is so insanely successful before House. You know, his his job, as it were, if, if a job is the thing that you are most... Gives you the most money. your mortgage, with, Then yeah. his job was as a voiceover artist. But most of them, you didn't recognise... Most people probably didn't recognise his voice, and you know those that you did when he was more or less doing his own voice, like Andrex. It just you didn't it kind of you didn't really notice. You didn't yeah, think, oh, yeah. he's the Andrex guy. You just yeah. you just maybe if you happen to be t- paying attention, thought, oh right, that's Hugh Laurie doing that. Oh. Yes, exactly. Um, so maybe that's the way to go. I think maybe a part of what gives people that slight distaste is that there is still an area in this country of kind of um, commercial free purity in the BBC. Yes. Whereas in America, even PBS is uh, uh, and uh, public television is still has lots of sponsorship and mm. foundations around it. And Nothing so, sadder than seeing the end of Sesame Street with McDonald's bring Sesame Street. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the one really thing sad. that they used to do was they used to say, "Brought you by the number one and the letters." Yes, it's sad that that's happened. But uh, and that's why I think that you know, in this week of attacking the BBC so intently, it okay, yes. Yeah, so the license fee is anachronistic, and if it were invented today, it wouldn't happen. You know what else wouldn't happen today? If uh, the NHS wouldn't be invented today, it's also anachronistic and probably. So, can you imagine a government bringing in something like yeah, that today? Well, of course look not. Look at Obama trying to bring in a fraction. Of it. They're both they're yeah. both they're both kind of heroic institutions mm, which yeah. are anachronisms, but in but, a, they're, but they're good. Yeah, and they work. Yeah, exactly. In good yeah. way. Okay, so we pay thirty five p thirty five p a day for the BBC license fee. You know what else for thirty five p really gets you that value? I it's, think it's tremendous. I think the license fee is a tremendous idea, and so is the BBC. Yes. and it would be stupid to throw it away. However, I do think the BBC. Where they go wrong is when they try to chase the when they compare themselves and when governments and the public and of course the extraordinarily biased press who have their own yes. Murdoch mm-hmm. uh, you know reasons for doing so compare well, them to, to the commercial yeah. uh, channels and say well yeah but you're not doing it. well they, they shouldn't be doing this trying to do the same things and when they the more they chase that the less they deserve well, the license well there's in a kind of way it, there's a strange um, paradox to that in that a sense. I think they should be chasing that in a certain way, and that they should be doing popular things oh, yeah. well. Yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I, mean, do I can't. Political. I can't stand. Whatever. I can't stand East Enders. But that doesn't oh, mean that, that doesn't mean that that yeah. doesn't mean that I. Mm. I no, no, know, I'm not saying it should all be BBC people Four. People who love I just EastEnders think should be BBC yeah. Four. People, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I also think there should be BBC One and people who yeah, love yeah. EastEnders 
give their 35p every day just as much as I do. Oh, completely. And, no, I've, uh... and, and so in that sense, so I don't want people saying, oh, get rid of Radio 1 and get rid of this and get rid of that. Because, just because I don't like Radio mm. 1. Not at all. To, but, I don't, but I think maybe bringing hole in the wall in. On, I don't think that's something, necessarily something that the BBC should be doing. But how do you, how, where do you draw, to use the horrible oh. cliche, where do you draw? Where do well, you draw the line? Well, it, well yeah. That's we have to say horrible <laughs> cliches in a stupid way. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Just to draw attention to them. Of course, that is, yeah, that's the problem. And that's the problem, because who's going to be the arbiter of, well, that's good quality populist stuff, and that's rubbish. Well, and the people whose yeah. jobs that is. You know, the, the peop- the, there are people who practically have that on the door of their office. That's but then their job. To line drawer. Uh, line drawer for the BBC, yeah, exactly. yeah. And at the moment, I don't no, think but they're they're doing no, 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 but the only reason they get that job is via nepotism. I mean, I haven't... <laughs> is that right? I do. I've actually got a relative who was, was given some work in the BBC and so on, and could have got a glimpse in, and those sort of people really do seem to get their jobs via a kind of Oxbridge nepotism. You I know it's a cliche. Know, okay. I, no, I do know that, and I'm prepared to stick by it <laughs> if anybody tries to test me in court. <laughs> right. So, so, so it's not a merit... That part of it isn't a meritocracy, and I'll be prepared I to stake to, my I, wine on it. I want to, to somewhat defend this. <laughs> so something like the show uh, Total Wipeout mm-hmm. is obnoxiously bad. Richard Hammond is the most terrible. Is that presenter. on the BBC? Yes, I thought that's Richard on some satellite. No, it's, it's Richard Hammond is the most appalling choice to present it. Mm. it. It's a show that doesn't work. But if you watch Wipeout, the show, it's an exact copy of. Yeah. From it shows over the, on the, in the summer on, on ABC in the states. Mm. Fantastically funny show. Exactly the same program, the same salt course, filmed out in South America, I think, so they don't have to pay the insurance for throwing <laughs> people around. Um, and then you have these two comedians presenting it who do a double act that's very very funny, and their mm. narration is very very well, well written. Right. You give that to Richard Hammond, who isn't a comedian, isn't a natu- naturally gifted, witty, witty man. That's not his job to be. Right. And, and they, they, absolutely, they took a really good idea. I think it's a, good, a show that they should have brought in. It's well, why, the argument, the but, argument is why, why, they did, they why didn't things. ITV or Sky bring that in? What is the BBC doing uniquely with that? And, yeah. and, and the problem is, it's an argument that makes sense. But if you say it too often, it becomes damaging because then people start becoming very self-conscious, saying, should we be doing this? Shouldn't we be doing this? Should yeah. we worry about whether our website is too good? Let's make it a little yeah. bit less yeah. popular. Yeah. So it, it's really difficult to know yeah. um, how much to say that sort of thing. So they should be allowed to make stupid mistakes. Yeah, they should. They should have more confidence as well. They're yeah. so easily at yes. the moment since Sanksgate, which in itself was just... It's trivial. They, they, it's yeah, trivial. It's completely. Whatever the case, it was a trivial situation that could yeah. have easily been dealt general, with by the apology. Uh, yeah, I think there's a cravenness at the exactly. moment from the top at the down. moment too paranoid and they think that their licensee is going to get taken away at any moment and the more that especially if the doors get in and the more they try and guard against that in a way the more they like a like someone being bullied in the playground, the yes. more they try not to be bullied, the more they the more give bullied, in. Oh, yeah. they are, yeah. and actually standing you up know, to... If you give the bully the, your lunch money on Monday, hoping that he won't ask <laughs> you for it on Tuesday, you've got something a bit wrong. But then precisely. I saw someone say this week that it's like um, they jumped out the second story window to avoid being pushed off the roof. Um, which <laughs> right. I liked. Yeah. No, I think what you do at that point is that you get all your friends to come, and when somebody's trying to push you, you push him instead. Problem is, they all their friends have now been slightly alienated by their craven behaviour, and that's a problem. And I think it's very interesting. I how, think they how easily made... voiced it is that everyone, in, everyone who's live on air on the BBC seems to voice their dissatisfaction with the current situation. All these radio presenters are quite willingly saying, "I mm. listen to Danny Baker saying it uh, a couple of weeks ago," and obviously uh, Adam and Joe constantly voice mm. this problem. They, they, all these people are just—they don't care. They're saying on air, "This is ridiculous." The situation mm. we're in now is, is crazy. Mm. When even your own talent uh, de- and dedicated talent mm. are saying that. Well, yeah. you know, um, uh, Collins and Herring on their Radio Six program, um, uh, Richard Herring said the word nonce 
on, on the program because right. there was uh, and and he meant it being meeting meaning paedophile obviously but he said yeah. he said ironically he used the word nonce because worried that using the word paedophile at ten in the morning or whatever would yeah. be a problem and he thought well nonce is and his producer got and he reported this later on his other free podcast so yeah. his producer got really agitated and stopped well, him. Uh, you can't use the word nonce and here's the way word yeah. you want, because that could be offensive to homosexuals yeah that was very at which point he said hold on saying that in itself is offensive that's offensive yeah. <laughs> that's the offensive bit that's yeah. the offensive bit yeah. you know you're, you're drawing an equivalency between homosexuality and paedophilia and then you're saying that by using the one term you'll somehow be alluding to the other term and therefore it's offensive I find that offensive so it's this, but it's this whole time themselves forget, in knots about forget the following week he came back on they had the regular producer and he said nonce as often as he could throughout the episode. oh no I didn't say so, it. yeah that one so, well, I'm, so. no, yeah, but he said he a kind of trainee presenter who'd been brought up in yeah. post-Saxgate yeah. kind of culture mm. who's really petrified every minute yeah. and, and they said Andrew and I are going to have a competition to see how many um, greeting how many Valentine's cards and, and me, me and Andrew and Skeletor as the kind of the balance as the test. <laughs> Skeletor, and the producer you can't say competition we can't say we don't do competitions <laughs> on the BBC okay it's a contest no it's not a contest either. Oh, God. and I was just thinking you can't, they can't go on being like that. No. Uh, they'll have a, the equivalent of a, of a systemic stroke if they can. <laughs> Did anyone see Adam Buxton doing a quite spectacular resignation speech on Channel 4 News? They, yeah. had, they had Mark Thompson in the studio. And, they, and, John, and John Snow said to him, is there anything you want to say to Mark Thompson? He's here. Yeah. And Adam, Adam Buxton. Buxton. And Adam yeah. Buxton said on, on the video screen, he said, well, um, yeah, I'd like to meet, I've been training, I want to have a fight with him, I want to have a fight. And they catch um, Thompson's face and he doesn't realise he's on camera and he goes... <sighs> Like then realises there's a little friendly oh, chuckle and it's like oh Adam I don't think you're going to be back even if Joe does come back from Hollywood I don't think you'll be oh, back oh let's hope that Joe does really badly in his directorial career so oh. he'll come back so he'll come back, and so he'll come back and do this podcast how's that for selfishness maybe we should maybe, since, since we've been going on for nearly an hour maybe, maybe we should we should end this uh, to a close. end this and I, I think I agree that what we need to do to deal with the road rage epidemic yeah. is, is rum Rum. If everybody just drank a lot yes. of rum, then they, yeah. then everything would be fine. fine. I would like to thank Mr. Finnamore for coming into the studio. Yeah, thanks so much for joining <laughs> into us. The studio. Into the studio. It's a, <laughs> studio. It's a <laughs> library of a studio. Yes, and I think we've. Uh, it's been genuinely interesting, and I, as as we said, we wouldn't say genuinely. Interesting. <laughs> Has it been genuinely interesting for you? Yes, I've been genuinely interested. Okay, good. And thank you. I really appreciate your time. It's really great. Thanks, dear. Still excellent. Thanks so much. Bye bye, everybody. Next week, a less special episode as ever. <laughs> <laughs> bye.